Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to do the Derpies for 2022. Um, we've got a whole year, and uh, we're going to do some awards. But before we do that, I want to tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. Uh, and I guess today today is is the big one, right? Every year, at the end of the year, we do a big awards show. What are our favorite things? My favorite things are a bunch of things, and Mango's favorite things are going to be a bunch of things. This award show is called The Derpies. And the 2022 Derpies, I guess, I don't know, I, like, where, we, like, where do we even want to begin? Oh, well, so, we have to do it, like, the way our award show differs from most award shows. True. Is that we start out at the top... Game of the Year, which we, for the past few years, have divided into three Game of the Year categories. We give you that right at the top. None of this wait till the end Game Awards bullshit. Um, and then, after we get through the Games of the Year, um, Buddy and I state a category, state a nomination for the category. And while we're talking about that category, the other person has to come up with their winner for that category. Um, some years it's been more wild. Some years it's been more tame. Um, so, but to start... Um, I believe tradition, we do Game of the Year as sport, Game of the Year as art, and then Game of the Year overall. Um, so, I'll start with my Game of the Year as sport nom or uh, award, and that is going to Rumbleverse. I had so much fucking fun in that game. I played all through the first season. I played significantly into the second season. I've kind of fallen off with it, but not because I don't think it's a good game. I just had other things I wanted to do. Um, the release of Dragonflight might have had something to do with that. Um... Which, you know, is maybe a strong argument for that game taking this title. But, instead of giving it to Rumbleverse, because it's a cool new property. It's a fresh new spin on the Battle Royale genre, which is not a thing I was gonna think I thought I was going to be saying in 2022. And it's an excellent fighting game, on top of all of that. Um, so, kudos to the guys over at Iron Galaxy. Um, I, yeah, I just want to say that like I had so much fun with that game. Uh, this is going to be the least surprising answer of the Derpies of all time. It's obviously got to be Total War Warhammer 3, right? As, I don't know. If there's a part of me that wants to say it's got to be... Um, maybe that's the case. But, like, I don't know. It's Like, where does a strategy game fall as games yeah. as sport games as art? I, I don't know the answer to that, to be completely honest with you. But my game of the year, in general, was obviously... You know, listen, guys, I waited... I waited 10 years... What? For this game, right? Well, we're, we're doing sport first, so it's your choice for, for which one goes to sport. God, but. you know, and it, yeah, you're right. It is absolutely my choice. It's our choice. So you can define it however you want, right? Like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not okay. gonna, I'm not gonna like turn the stream off if you give me an answer I don't think is right. <laughs> That's definitely true. Um, I guess, I guess my feeling is that, you know, I guess I do want to take it back, and I will explain why in a, in a minute, because we'll do art after. I guess I think it's more art than sport, uh, which leaves me in the awkward position of having to find a good game for a uh, game of the year for sport. Uh, oh, actually, I have a great game of the year for sport, which is Vampire Survivors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because Vampire Survivors, even though it's a single-player game, right, the uh, the drive to optimize, right, and to yeah, kind no, it's of a, it's a pure decipher, sport game. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. You know, um, obviously, I could really care less about the fact that they're you know vampires or whatever. I learned later that those little guys are milk demons, um, and I was like, gross, but okay. Um, 
And, uh, you know, uh, I just think that, yeah, it's got to be Vampire Survivors, mostly because it was just a really interesting and compelling puzzle that I don't think anybody could really put down when we first kind of, like, uncovered it. And even though it did technically come out in 2021, I'm pretty sure everybody went hard for that game. The, in the official release, I would say, the official release is in 2022, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And obviously, that was that was when you and I picked it up. Um, the last time I played it was on November 9th, um, and then there's a certain amount of sort of uh there's a certain amount of sort of like play time that goes into that right um so you know yeah all right so that that's okay uh, yeah so Good. so game says are i i guess i'm switching i'm switching this in a weird way i wanted to say that total war is is a game as a sport because i do have that drive to sort of like optimize and everything but at the end of the day the thing i'm deriving from total war um is a little more evocative than that and it's a little more sort of like flavorful than that right um and one of the things that makes it such a standout experience right with this huge insane 10-year development cycle is the immersive nature of sort of submerging yourself in the role of your faction on this massive like warhammer you know map right um where you know the mechanics are they're not just interesting puzzles to decipher, like, you know, in, in certain sorts, in certain sorts of ways they are, right? Like, where is the best place for me to drop my ogre encampment, for instance, might be an, an interesting sort of mechanics question, right? But at the end of the day, you know, the stuff that I'm doing, the decisions that I'm making that are around, um meet and fulfilling mercenary contracts and the nomadic nature of the, having pretty poor settlements but having very powerful camps like these are the things that make me feel like i am playing the ogre kingdoms right and how the ogre kingdoms sort of work and operate and i think that that makes for uh, a good sort of powerful you know like engine to to sort of immerse someone into that feeling of I am leading armies in the war the Warhammer world and that is an artistic thing that is that is less of a less of a sport thing so yeah obviously yeah Total War Warhammer three <laughs> hands down fair enough um, so my game is art and this is this this is uh, you know again it's our show it's our rules this is a game that came out in 2016 that I only played this year I was looking back I didn't really have a a kind of marquee games as art game like I have in previous years. Um, I, I want to shout out that a game I didn't get a chance to play this year that's apparently very good is, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, the Case of the Golden Idol. I will be playing that later this year and I will report back on it. But the game of the year of art that I'm giving this year is to Epistory Typing Chronicles. I spoke about this briefly um, when, I first, when I first started using it. Um, I have a new keyboard that's like a split ergo keyboard that I was having trouble getting used to. And as part of the deal with this keyboard is they give you a free copy of this episode of Typing Chronicles. And it's, you know, a fairly kind of, you know, it is it is a story of a girl um, in some ways coming of age, right? Like it's, it's got like it hits some expected beats, but it's a... It's kind of typical in the way that these these indie games are typical, you know, obfuscated story. You find out more as the story goes on. But the thing that I appreciated most about it is a lot of these games kind of um, are just like they don't bother to go with uh, with an interesting mechanic. Right. Like that's why I loved um, Return of the Oberdin so much. Right. Because it had like a good mechanic to go along with it. Um, and well, Epistory Typing Chronicles, that mechanic was typing. It did some cool stuff with that typing mechanic. And it was a real game. Right, like, 
I felt like I got a game out of this rather than like, you know, a, uh, what I might uncharitably call a kind of like, uh, juiced up visual novel, which I think a lot of, uh, a lot of these artsy games can kind of get into. So I want to give game of the year of art to Epistory type in Chronicles, get it on Steam. Okay. Can I just, uh, wait, are, are we, we have a third category. What's our third category? G- game of the year as game of the year. Oh, game of the year as game of the year. Yeah. All right. Oh, shit. I didn't think about that. I guess I would have to give that to also Total War Warhammer 3. That's kind of an awkward thing. But I didn't really think about it because I'm behind in my, in my brain isn't functioning correctly. So, yes, I have to give Game of the Year as Game of the Year. And this is going to be... Okay, I guess this is going to be my, my, my real thing about what makes Total War Warhammer 3 so special, which is that... The genius of releasing a game in these sorts of parts, but then bundling it all together for the massive experience, it is truly unlike anything I have ever played in my entire life, right? And I think it's it's fun, it's fundamentally unlike any game that's really ever been... I, I guess I want to say that's ever come out ever, just because of the way in which... You know, it is sort of a game that had a 10-year development cycle, if that makes sense, right? Even something like World of Warcraft or whatever, um, you know, these games are seasonal and episodic in a way that Total War isn't and does not have to be. Because the nature of a grand strategy game is kind of that you can always go bigger. You can always do more, right? Um, And now we live in this world where it is bigger and it is more, and we have all of these sort of like different races and and things to kind of um, interact with and play with and have fun with, and all of those are really interesting and really uh, and really complex. So yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say that like the only thing I can think of that, that would compare to that kind of development cycle was something like one of the paradox games, right? Like EU four. Mm-hmm. Um, but like could maybe come close. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. But like, but like those games are like everybody kind of has the same core mechanic mechanics and like there's like slight variations based on like your your region and culture whereas mm-hmm. the, i think the accomplishment of, of the warhammer trilogy is it has it has like that sort of development cycle with like astounding tactical diversity right yeah so, like you know no so- yeah i think that makes a huge difference i and, and i do like eu4 right but i think eu4 is more about creating sort of evergreen systems right, that are emphasized by different sort of regions, right? right? So, for instance, something I've talked about in the past is I liked playing Spain because Spain has a lot of bonuses towards colonization and towards um, sort of, like, trade, right? So you go, you colonize before anybody else gets to colonize, and you... Um, uh, and that your colonization d- gives you a lot of trade power that you have to sort of manage, right? Um, and so those are two systems that everybody deals with, but when you play Spain, you really learn those systems, right? And then I would go and I played France, right? And France now has has a lot of issues when it comes to religion, right? Because you're actually dealing with the Protestant revolution. And what are you going to do? Are you going to let, you know, are you going to let your citizenry, con- you know, convert? Are you going to stay allied to the Catholic throne, right? Like, you know, the, the, the religion stuff is there in Spain, but Spain just stays Catholic the entire time, basically, right? Unless you really force it. There's really no reason to move away from Catholicism. And so these are two evergreen systems that, get, that are getting emphasized by the different countries that you're um that you're playing as um whereas you know warhammer just completely upends all of these fundamental 
you know, all of these fundamental systems from the ground up, right? Including the ways in which you will play um, races like the Beastmen, who just don't even have settlements at all, right? Um, or the Warriors of Chaos, who, you know, they can have these minor settlements, but mostly they're looking for these dark fortresses that they're going to build up into these, like, powerful bastions of Chaos, right? Um, those are just so radically different than, you know, like, dwarves or, you know, elves or anything else. Yeah. Yeah, so for my game of the year, that is game of the year. Um, it's also kind of a culmination of a, of a long history of a company. Uh, but um, this should come as no surprise to anyone. Mine is Elden Ring. Um, the game that I played probably the most, except for maybe WoW, but that's because WoW is its own special creature. But um, uh, Elden Ring just captured my imagination, captured my attention, um, captured my desire to master it. Um and impressed me just by, like, the sheer, like, there are open-world games that feel like they're, like, kind of empty or that the open-world gets old after a while. Elden Ring never really did that. Like, towards the end, I kind of ran out of, like, I always felt that things were worth doing, even if I felt like maybe I, I thought I wanted to push the game to its end a little bit faster. And it's not to say it's a perfect game, but, like, it was spectacular. The world is chock-full of... So many secrets and surprises and so many nooks and crannies. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I had a wonderful, fantastic time with it. Um, and, uh, you know, I I kind of wish that uh, I could forget the whole experience so I could do it again. I don't think I could just like, <laughs> run through the game again. Like, I, I don't think I could ever do that first playthrough again. But that first playthrough was magical. And, uh, I you know, I'm... So 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 happy with it. So I feel like these are really boring answers. I feel like this has been a boring a boring year because hey, everything is so is sometimes, so obvious. Sometimes they're good answers, right? Like, yeah. All right. So who, which one of us wants to do the first first custom category? Oh, the first wacky one. Do you do you have one to to just like fire off? Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's not it's not okay. particularly wacky. I'm gonna go. My movie of the year is is uh, DC League of Super Pets. That's the category. <laughs> movie of the year. Really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, so, sure, yeah, I mean, I guess. So there were sev several movies that I considered for this. I've got a couple of other categories that I will highlight for movies, other films. But um, when it comes down to it, right, like, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once was super interesting. And uh, Unbearable Way to Massive Talent made me laugh. But DC League of Super Pets was a sincere movie, a sincere superhero movie, done the best way, like, done basically perfectly as a form, right? Like, I know you've got your issues that they don't have the octopus, right? Sure. Yeah, but, yeah, they, yeah. But that, that's, that, that doesn't actually count. Yeah. That's not real, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, it did what Marvel has been, like, trying to do for the past four years. Like, it, it did what Marvel did when it did Iron Man. That it's been trying to do for like the past four or so years that it's been kind of like stumbling on. And it did it well. And it did it without the pitfalls that Marvel uh, goes into. Or that, you know, the DC universe goes into for for, it, for its problems. Um, and it was refreshing. It was just refreshing to see an earnest superhero movie. Uh, with a little bit of humor, right? Like I didn't, you know, like with that kind of like fun to it. And so it was my... Maybe the better way to put it is my favorite movie of the year. But... It was it's I for for my money it's the best movie that I have I, I have seen this year in terms of like 
pure what I wanted out of out of movies this year. Okay, yeah, my answer is weird. I never would have thought that I would have uh, said this, but my answer is uh, Bullet Train. I it is kind of weird and crazy to me that Bullet Train ended up kind of living sort of rent free in my consciousness because this is the perfect fire and forget movie for me. Right? It is just plot. It's just like this kind of like like Swiss watch plot mechanism, and there's really nothing else to it. There's no there's no sort of deeper meaning. There's no uh, you know kind of more complex significance to any of it. Right? It's just kind of an interesting, straightforward, mildly comedic, mildly action packed sort of romp that is disconnected from everything else. But I think in a world where the Marvel movies were sort of coming up short, um, where, you know, uh, the DC movies are in this, like, continuous state of weird freefall, even though I did quite like Black Adam, DC League of Super Pets, and, and Batman all that much, right? Um, uh, where, you know, we're missing stuff, like like some of these big cultural cachet things, um, like uh, like a Star Wars, right? Um, or even other sort of franchises that have cropped up since then, Fast and the Furious, John Wick, or whatever. Um, it was sort of freeing and just great to sit down and have a movie going experience that was as straightforward as bullet train. Right. Um, and I think in, you know, in that sort of sense, it, it being this sort of break from the typical kind of, uh, uh, the typical sort of uh, like steamrolling of franchises and IPs and post credit scenes just felt good that just felt really that just felt really good so yeah bullet train is my is my movie of the year yeah that that makes total sense like by, by total coincidence last week i sat down and watched it again um with uh with with, with some other people just because it was like we wanted to watch something and it was one of the ones that was advertised i think on netflix and it's like and they were like somebody asked is this any good and i'm like yeah it's fun you know you might want to turn your brain off a little bit but it was just as fun to watch the second time so i think that's a that's a very good pick very good pick. All right. Sure. So, so what's okay. your category? Okay. My category, this is also one that we've been doing for a long time, um, but it is it is uh, sort of that. It is that time of year again, which is your favorite content creator uh, and, and the content that they do, right? It's always weird comparing, you know, video essays that I'm watching on YouTube to... Um, movies that I'm watching on Netflix, even though they are relatively sort of, you know, like relatively sort of similar. Um, so it feels good to be able to sort of take a second to highlight some of these. Last year, my answer was uh, Patrick H. Willems because of, you know, sort of the the run up into Night of the Coconut, which was his, or I'm sorry, actually, was last year? I think last year was was Patrick H. Williams. Um, this year, though, the, the for for a pair of really banger banger videos is Dan Olson of Folding Ideas. He made two videos this year. He made three videos this year, but he made two videos this year that I think are just really really good pieces of media criticism. Um, the first is. A video essay called Line Goes Up, The Problem with NFTs, which sort of breaks down the the fundamentals of, in just excruciating detail, of what the NFT craze sort of looked like over the course of 2021. Um, 
And I don't know that I've ever watched a more satisfying kind of takedown video. Obviously, I had a weird personal ru like running with NFTs because people minted a bunch of stuff, a bunch of Akupara Games stuff and started selling it. And we were like, what the absolute fuck? That is not allowed this is not okay kind of a thing um so i have always hated nfts as like essentially a direct victim of nfts but watching somebody you know like write a write and perform this video really breaking down in in very straightforward details why nfts didn't quite work out was really satisfying and then the second one is the video why it's rude to suck at warcraft which is the most comprehensive video on game design i have ever i have ever seen in the sense that it understands the fundamentals of how games work and the systems that are at play in them, right? Um, it's funny because Why It's Rude to Suck at Warcraft came out really right before, you know, Shadowlands Dragonflight, or I'm sorry, uh, World of Warcraft Dragonflight did. Um, there's obviously a lot of talk about World of Warcraft, the transition from Shadowlands to Dragonflight. Um, but just the way in which he sort of gets into the technical detail of how different modes of play work and different social systems interact with those modes of play um, it's just so much more comprehensive than I think I've ever seen anyone delve into video game design stuff in sort of a popular media format in this way. Um, God, what I would not do to have, you know, Twitch streamers and YouTubers with the same level of sort of literacy, uh, when it comes to, when it comes to game design that was, that was explained in, in that video. So yeah, foldable human, Dan Olson, congratulations, bud. All right. Um, on my end. I think I'm going to give it to you uh, just because it's what I ended up watching, I think, the most of this year uh, is Red Letter Media. Um, just because, like, you know, old old favorite. But this year, more than any other year, I just found some nights I just wanted to kick back and laugh at some stupid fucking B-movies. And, like, I like their other content, too. But Best of the Worst, like, I found myself going back to, like, old, like, Best of the Worst videos from years ago just to have something to watch that I didn't have to think about too hard. Um and that I, uh, that I really liked. I, I also want to give a shout out to College Humor because I've started. I've just started digging into um, um actually, and uh, Game oh Changer. my god, I have also done both of those things. Shout out to Rachel, my partner, who is the person who actually started showing me these things. But yes, I Game Changers and I'm actually are so good. <laughs> I I may have just yesterday gotten a subscription to Dropout. Which is their like paid service. I was like, yeah, she, she, uh, yeah, interesting. She had a subscription to Dropout because she watched Dimension Twenty. Um, yeah. She didn't, you know. I, I think now she's maybe on a critical role, but she was like, you know, she was watching these these D and D actual plays, um, and her favorite one ended up being Dimension Twenty, uh, which you know uh, is is hosted on the Dropout TV. But then we started watching Game Changers, and um, there are some episodes of Game Changers that are absolutely insanely like funny. It it boggles the mind um specifically the one that um there's one where they just have to make the sounds and it eventually got spun off into, into its, its own, own series yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that i don't even remember what, it, what it's called but it was just like you know he gives you a thing and you have to make the sound of the thing right um which which was just like insanely good uh there's a uh, true facts about grant anthony o'brien one and two are you know are Help, are super funny from from Dropout. Um, there's one episode of Game Changers where they do an improv musical, uh, Welcome to Mountport, which is maybe the most like impressive 
piece of improvisational comedy I have ever seen in my life because they literally do improv a musical and they're harmonizing with one another. But like, you know, there, there's no rehearsal. They didn't practice this, right? And so they're having to like do do rhymes and characters and all of this stuff on the fly. Um, that eventually got spun off into its own into its own thing. But yes, anyway, drop out. I'm actually uh, yeah. really really stellar stuff. So it feels like in the middle of this, we we both kind of like decided like best streaming service is Dropout. Um, <laughs> to run back to what my actual nomination was, it's Red Letter Media. Uh, just because. Right. Best of the oh worst. yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No. Best of the worst. Super funny. Super solid. Um, they actually just so, in kind of like what is a weird parallel to the NFT things. They just did a, a video on, um, basically like this new thing where like people are like grading VHSs and selling them for large amounts of money on eBay. Um, and it might be kind of like, it seems like the, the big thing is that it's mostly like, like the people who are probably getting rich, the people doing the VHS grading service, right. Who are just like people, right. Like who decided that they, you know, they'll grade it or whatever. Right. And it seems like I'll put a link to the video, but they basically go over the whole thing. But as part of it, they, they are famous for having, um, uh, like uh, part of what they're famous for is they have a large collection of the VHS of this movie Nuki, which they've never actually done a review of, and so they tease the they tease it by saying we watch Nuki, right? But what they actually do is they take one of their pristine copies of Nuki and they go get it graded by the service, right? Um, and they are putting it up on eBay for um, and with all the money going to, to charity. Um, and it looks like I think the last time I checked the auction was at like seventy five thousand dollars. I don't know if that's real or not. But if they, A, if they make that money for charity, good for them. Um, but the end of the video was them being like, well, we have this premium graded version of Nuki, which means that we should really drive up the price of it by, you know, by getting rid of all of our other copies of Nuki. So they get like a literal wood chipper and they just feed all of their other copies of Nuki into the wood chipper. <laughs> so it was super wow. fun. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. Um, it's a... Uh, so, you know, Red Letter Media, hats off to you. You get uh, my content creator of the year. All right. Okay. So, which I guess makes it my turn for a category. I'm going to stick with the movies for a second. Um, I'm going to say the movie that affected me the most. Um, and initially, I thought this was going to go to Everything Everywhere All at Once. But um, it actually goes to a movie that came out last year, but I watched technically in the new year, is uh, The Whale with Brandon Fraser, directed by Darren Aronofsky by A24 Films. Um, uh, it's a movie about a, a, a man who is, uh, he, he basically does online college classes, but he's very, very fat. Um, and, uh, you find out that this is because of a tragedy in his life. He's kind of like, it kind of like drove him to despair. And the way he d deals with that is by overeating and he is massive. He is basically, we, we open the movie and we basically find out that he is imminently going to die because he has overeaten so much, right? Like the, the one character says, he will be, you will be dead by the weekend if you don't do anything about this, do something about this. Um, and it's basically presented as if that is true. Um, and I think that the reason why this resonated with me so much is, one, I'm a big guy. But two, part of what they did in the movie is at several points they show him eating. And they show him eating. It's not like, you know, like some – they show him like eating an entire bucket of fried chicken or like he's, he like starts going into a meatball sub sandwich and he takes such a big bite that he starts choking on it. And his nurse friend has to like bang him in the back to like, like has to like push him over the arm of a couch and hit him in the back to get him to throw, to, to get him to spit it up. And it's like, 
I've been there, right? Like I have like eaten food in this way, in this like totally self-destructive way. You know, obviously not to that extent, but like sure. it's yeah. like, holy Jesus, this is this is too real. This is way too real for me. Um, um and the rest of the movie also has like a lot of like it's not just about him being a large person right there. He's got a lot of personal trauma. Um, he's got a an estranged daughter. Um, he's dealing with like a, like a missionary shows up on his door. Apparently, it's based on a stage play, which, in retrospect, that makes a little bit more sense to me because like kind of like fits into that kind of like I don't want to say magical realism, but that kind of like altered reality thing that a lot of stage plays fit into, where the things kind of like happen because the plot needs them needs them to, and it makes a li- it feels a little bit less contrived in a stage play than it does in a movie. Um, but, uh, I thought Brandon Fraser gave a great performance. I thought the, um, the second, the, the female lead, which is, um, I forget the actress's name, but I didn't think she did a great job, but, um, I thought it was a very powerful movie. Um, it's a very weird movie, but, uh, it's an A24 film, so, you know, it's ba- you should expect A24-ness with it, but, uh, it, I found it personally moving, so that is, that is the movie that most affected me from this year. Boy, my answer seems much dumber now. Hey, uh, and I sort of want to change it, but the but the real answer I think is pop star never stop never stopping. Just because <laughs> I watched it so much and it literally changed so much of my behavior and like the way that I talked and I was making these jokes and references to things, right? Like, um, you know, the first song in the in the movie is um is humble. Right, the song is "I'm So Humble," uh, you know, and it's and it is a comedic song, obviously about how not humble he is, you know, with lyrics like you know, number one at the top of the humble list, right, like that kind of thing. Um, but you know, um, it's a weirdly sincere movie for a comedy that actually hits me kind of where, you know, that like hits me where I live in a way, um, which I think is. Uh, yeah, which I, I don't know. It's just like, it, it's, it's the movie that it's the movie that I think I, I saw, um, the most and did in fact affect me most though. I will say if the version of things is, uh, about sort of a, per, like a, like a kind of like on a personal level. You know, like, movie that affected me most. The answer might be West Side Story, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Did we talk about this in the podcast? Today? I don't think we did. Cause I didn't see it. Okay. I just want to mention this. It, 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 I watched it. I watched it once, and I did have a connection to the movie, but it was it was very weirdly personal. Um, the Steven Spielberg's West Side Story leans in to the immigrant versus nativist sort of battle between the sharks and the jets much, much more. And for those of you who don't know, my family is Puerto Rican, um, and that sort of Puerto Rican from the Bronx upbringing is the same sort of upbringing that my grandfather had, right? Uh, before they would eventually, you know, like kind of move out and do whatever. Um, my, my dad also lived in, you know, it was, is a Puerto Rican who lived in New York city for, for whatever. Um, and, um, and the, it was so, uh, it was so affecting to sort of see this film from the era of my Puerto Rican grandfather in a way, um, that, played it more like historical fiction than the original did, right? Because the original West Side Story effectively plays it as contemporary. But this isn't that. This is a modern movie looking back on the on that time period with a, with a modern lens in the way that all historical fiction is. Which, by the way, is why the movie is very good. 
and why it is like it is a different and better movie to have been remade than the 1960 version, right? Which like was obviously produced contemporaneously. Um, so that's probably the answer for a movie that affected me most in this kind of like emotional, profound sort of uh, pro profound sort of way. Yeah, very cool. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, wait, category. it's me, right? Or your is it category. You? It's your category. Okay, right? it's me. Uh, so just to keep things on the relatively uh, like easy side of things, the relatively simple stuff, we've got television okay um what is you know your television show of the year this one also i'm sure is not going to be a surprise at all for anyone but it's better call saul which ended this year right um i guess putting an end to the breaking bad universe i i i don't, I don't actually know the answer to that um but uh it just it is incredible to me that this group of that this group of people were able to do it twice, and I would argue they were able to do it better. I like Breaking Bad. I think Breaking Bad is very compelling television, but it really pales in comparison to the sort of depths and nuance that was able to be achieved through Better Call Saul. Every character in Better Call Saul is deeper and more complex and more interesting every episode is you know it has a more nuanced look at what makes thing uh at what makes kind of um I don't know, kind of what makes evil happen, right? The 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 story that we're told of Walter White, um, of his pride, of his arrogance, of his ego, that's a very common story. But the story of Saul's sort of addiction and relapse to being a good person, right, is, I think, a much better and truer version of a story about evil than Breaking Bad was, right? Which is the, crazy, because it's the thing that everybody praised about Breaking Bad, right? Like, it's this story of this guy's, like, descent into, into like, villainy. And I do think that Walter is evil and all this other sort of stuff. Like, I, I would absolutely agree with all that. And I don't want to try and... I don't want to diminish Breaking Bad too much, but it is truly insane the level of you know, uh, just like moral and I don't know, just like narrative sophistication that comes from Saul, um, that comes from, uh, Kim, uh, that comes from Mike and especially my, you know, like the, the standout moment of this year that I wish I could put into a category, but I don't want to spoil it for you. Um, you know, uh, Michael Mondo's Nacho. Uh, who has just like some of the most fantastic acting I think I have ever seen in my life in the final season of this show. Very cool. Um, mine probably has to be Dairy Girls, uh, which is a, a show that I watched at the behest of my girlfriend. Um, but uh, it it was I it was the best show for me because um, I, its final season came out this year. Um, it's a three-episode season. It's a British show, so it's only like six episodes a season. Relatively short and compact. But it it's about a group of Catholic schoolgirls coming of age in the 90s. And we didn't exactly come of age in the 90s, but we came of kind of like – like that was part of my childhood. And a lot of it was like a blast from the past, right? Like, like the soundtrack for that show is like every song that played on the radio in the 90s. It is phenomenal in that way. Um, it's also an insight into kind of like 
the Troubles, which is not like obviously it's not a conflict that I am particularly close to as, as, as not, not of Irish descent. But it's also a thing that like was the closest thing to like real kind of like sectarian violence in the West, I think, in recent history. And it, it's it's weird how like real that was and how much like we just don't know about it, especially especially over here. But it's like there were literally people killing each other in the streets over like weird political issues that like kind of don't resonate right now like in, in like the it was about like i don't know i'm not i'm again i'm not i'm not I'm not irish in any way so I, I don't know but it's, it's it was like conflicts over whether or not to like reunite with england or, or to be a separate republicans like there was like real terrorism that happened over it and in america what we did is we named a drink after it which was like you know terribly offensive in the in, in hindsight um but it's, it's just we actually need a couple of, I think, drinks after, which is like a weird, weird, very weird thing. Um, but uh, it talks about it in a very mature way and about like growing up in that sort of environment. And I thought it was super insightful and super, super entertaining. Um, to your point, to, to your comment about like change when you talk, I will regularly say like I so it is um, just because like that's a line from the show, right? Like, um, but, you know, I thought it was an excellent show and I would highly recommend it. To uh, everyone out there. Okay. All right. So uh, that means it's my category, and I'm going to pick a more fun one for this one. I'm going to pick... Uh, this is maybe too specific, but I'm going to say... I have it written down as most failed new WoW mechanic that should be great, so I'm just going to say, like, worst new WoW mechanic. And I'm going to say it's Work Waters. Um, and that's just because, <laughs> like... I think this is a super great idea that just, like, isn't working. Right, like, and maybe in a couple more weeks, like, I keep thinking that maybe in a couple more weeks there'll be more work orders on, on the marketplace, but there aren't, and maybe that's just because of the nature of our server and the matri- nature of the profession I'm using, but, like, I got two work orders today. The commission was 50 gold, and I took them because I literally, like, you know, they put up the materials, and I just wanted to fill the work orders, so I got, like, you know, I got my, my weekly's credit, right? Like, um... I think it's a really neat idea, right? Like you, you go put out work order, you put out put out items on work order, and someone will fill them, and you know do it for you. And they've got mechanics in here to like try and build a rapport between the crafter and the user. Uh, basically, I think what they were trying to do is recapture, essentially, the kind of magic of selling items manually in cities. That was kind of the the like the uh, one of the hallmarks of like that those earlier. Like early WoW, um, uh, or like Guild Wars, where like you basically had to stand in town and hawk your wares manually for like an hour to get the to get them gone. But like you know that's actually too aggravating. So it's kind of tries to systematize in a way, but it's just not seeing adoption, at least from what I've seen. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, I have extremely complex feelings about this. So complex that I kind of think. We could save them for a uh, full episode. episode, to be honest. I will. I guess I will just agree in the sense that I also feel like um, uh, professions and work orders are falling short. For me, they are falling short in a different way, though, which is that, you know, part of what made Shadowlands a really fun experience for me as a crafter was the supply and demand was very reversed um, in the sense that, if you know, the, the, the big gate on professions was cost. If you were willing to put in half a... 
have a million gold, three quarters of a million gold, you could get a rank four legendary and those things were printing money. They were they were basically all profit, but not everybody has 750,000 gold in order to sort of like burn on this. And not everybody is really all that interested in playing the kind of capitalist game of, you know, logging on, checking your auctions, undercutting your competitors, all of this other kind of thing, right? Finding good deals on mats and buying them when they're cheap, right? Not not doing them when they're expensive. Relisting auctions, so you know, bu buying buying out auctions when they're, you know, when when someone is undercutting you by a whole bunch and relisting their stuff for a higher price and making a profit off of it, right? Like these are the fun sort of like capitalism simulator games that you can have fun with in WoW's economy in Shadowlands. Um, and though those barriers made it so that legendaries which were in very very high demand because basically every character was required to include one right um by the way in which player psychology worked and in which the game kind of encouraged you to behave um there was a huge demand for them there was not a lot of supply and people had to buy them off of the auction house which meant that i as the crafter set the price and and i got to set my profit margins Work orders have reversed a lot of that. People, now the big gate to professions is not money, it is time. It is do you have the time to invest in your weekly profession quests, right? Um, are you making, you know, like, are, are you logging on? Are you getting all of your little things? Are you mining all of your little nodes? All of these other sorts of things. Um, and there are many more people who are willing to spend an hour or two filling out weekly quests than there are people who are willing to spend 750,000 gold and play the auction house, right? Which means that the supply for crafting has exploded, right? Secondly, the demand has depressed because crafted gear is good and I would actually argue is very good and people are not utilizing it to the extent that they ought to, right? But the same sort of gameplay impetus around Torghast, around legendary powers, um, around your sort of like build and soul ash and all that stuff, all that is gone, right? So we don't have the game sort of driving demand in a way that people feel like they are obligated in order to pick up some form of legendary uh, which requires, you know, cr like buying buying a piece of crafted gear off of off of the auction house this suppresses demand obviously um and then finally uh the main way that you deal with these systems is work orders which means that the crafter is the one who is the recipient of the order rather than the the being the seller to a buyer who is the recipient of the item right which means that the relationship of who sets the price is reversed as a crafter i don't set the price anymore now the buyer sets the price and they get to say i want you to craft this for 250 gold and maybe you're willing to take that commission right all profit is profit right at the end of the day but the question be kind of becomes when it when when it goes sort of along these sorts of lines um how willing are you know like how how satisfying a, a system is that going to be and how willing are people to participate in it? and i would say it's less satisfying uh than than the previous system so i guess i said i wasn't gonna say i was gonna say a short thing but i ended up saying a long thing uh so I guess I agree. Uh, anyway, so I'm sorry. What is the what was the the technical uh, so thing I, that you? I would say worst new WoW mechanic is if you would like to broaden it out beyond WoW, feel, feel free. But I figure we talk about WoW a lot. I figure you'd have a least favorite WoW mechanic. Um, my like the one I listed as is worst new WoW mechanic that should be great, but I'm cutting that out because I feel like that's way too narrow. Um, 
Yeah, I know. I do think worst worst new WoW mechanic. What's my what's my least so, favorite so new WoW mechanic? So real quick, uh, in the chat, Arahe says oh. I definitely have a problem where I don't want to put in crafting orders because I don't know what I'm supposed to pay. I feel that. I think that's actually the, one of the bigger flaws with the system is because like, it, it's like a vicious cycle, right? Like because no one wants to use the system, no one's using the system, and you'd have that kind of like competitive pressure up and down if people were like listing orders, but they're not. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's also a psychological issue because people are asking for um, max rank things, right? This yeah. this actually happens to me. I I've been keeping up with my blacksmithing. I maxed out on on all of this stuff or whatever, and people will be like, "I want someone to craft me this thing at rank five and I have to say, "Well, I can get that with an inspiration proc, maybe, but like you'd have to do a couple of rerolls for that." And there's a real hesitance to that, right? People don't want to accept a rank four thing, even though it's really mathematically impossible to guarantee a rank five. Um, it's like the the you know the player sort of um, perception of having a rank four item on rather than a rank five item is really detrimental to a crafter's ability to sort of like live this sort this this kind of fantasy. I'm sure that this is gonna go away with time um, as we get like more and more specialized and better at all these other sorts of things. But yeah, it is definitely an issue sort of like right this second, right this moment um, for me is people kind of being unrealistic in the in the way that they they uh, sort of demand crafting orders. Okay, I guess I want to give a sort of spicy answer, but I'm trying to think of what a good spicy answer might be. Um, oh God, worst new WoW mechanic. This is enough to admit, like, I, worst thing about the new expansion, maybe, if, if, that, if that helps. Well, so I was actually going to go back and think of... I was, I was, trying, I was thinking about going back and thinking of uh, Sepulchre of the First Ones. Okay, uh, because that was also new this year. Yeah, yeah. So I think the worst new WoW, or the worst WoW mechanic for a, that, that like, I felt like I had to deal with this year. Um, that was kind of uh, that was kind of like a pain and got in and got in my way. Um, was actually sort of the difficulty of um, the raid Sepulchre of the First Ones. I like difficult raids, and I think that difficult raids are important. But I also think that Sepulchre of the First Ones launched in such a way that it was just insanely hard to clear. And we do know that that was the intention, right? Because the assistant game director Morgan Day got on to podcast, and he basically said, "Yeah, we want to bring back, you know, a level of difficulty um, that that people are sort of expecting." But I sort of think that they were racing the the race world first people, and they took that a step too far. Essentially, um, Sepulchre of the First One was the longest race the world first ever. It went past uh, multiple. Um it went past multiple weeks. Uh, it was three. It was like three weeks or whatever. Um, and so many of the bosses in that dungeon, or I'm sorry, so many of the bosses in that raid had to be dramatically nerfed in order to feel like they were somewhat attainable uh, by us and our and our raid group. And so I guess I just have a, a complicated. Uh, relationship with the ways in which the race of World First has been influencing World of Warcraft lately, um, and that would be that would be my answers. The difficulty, that intentional difficulty hike that went into Sepulchre of the First Ones is not something I'm a huge fan of, and I'm I'm kind of glad that Vault of the Incarnates seems to be a little more a little more tame, I guess. Um, okay. Nice. Uh, are we back? Are we back to me? Yeah, your category. 
Okay, uh, one second. I wrote one out that I wanted to do, but I, I just want to remember what I said for the the announcement. Um, okay, this is a good one. Uh, what is your favorite dumb thing trademark that you did in an RPG this year? Okay, so this year, something that I did in an RPG... We got to a town, we got to this desert town that was at the top of like a mesa, right? So there's this elevator kind of like up and down, uh, but the town is sort of like a, like a shanty town, you know, almost like, um, uh, like a Hoover town or something kind of along those lines. Um, everything is like made out of tin. There's, there are these miners or whatever. And there was this rampant criminal problem. And we knew that there was a huge army of gnolls coming to besiege the town. And we had to prepare the town's defenses to make sure that those gnolls did not run roughshod over everyone. In order to deal with that, I went to the local gang, the local hooligans, the local ruffians, right? Um, and I went to engage the local, the local gang. We, the, the whole party split up. It was just me. Um, and I was playing the samurai character and I went in, I started talking with them. I like flubbed all of my charisma checks or whatever. And eventually I just started, I just decided I was going to beat them into submission. Right. Um, so we started fighting. I pull out my crazy samurai star and I started, I started beating their asses outside of the context of this, some of my fellow party members see this and they also see other members of this criminal gang, right? Who are really kind of the only military force in the city, right? They're just young people with weapons who are like willing to fight. They see me in the distance fighting these two gang leaders, right? Um, and then they see that the other members of the gang are going to go back up the leaders so my party intercepts those gang members and they proceed to slaughter them like dogs cutting them down in droves right absolutely murdering all of these all of these gang members now i am obviously disconnected from this because i can't see them they are behind me and i'm in the middle of this fight with the two gang leaders but i eventually use non-lethal damage to subdue both of the gang leaders and then because i don't know that their whole gang has been slaughtered in the sands behind me i make both of them swear fealty to me and to rally all of their little criminal troops in defense of the town unfortunately their criminal troops are all dead in the sands behind me because I did not know that my party has been slaughtering them while I have been trying to subdue these two gang leaders. So I inadvertently started and ended the ability of this town to rally the criminal base in order to in order to defend itself, which I thought was very actually funny. To be fair, it was just Kyle murdering. That's what, that's what Arahe said in chat. That is actually true. It was Kyle who was in fairness playing a barbarian... Paladin cleric, I think. This was in the this was in the Gestalt game, but it was just a very funny thing that happened in a tabletop game. I wanted to explain that. Okay, your turn. Go. Yep. So, um, this actually happened a couple weeks ago, but it's it's kind of the obvious answer. So, party is riding along in a caravan, comes to a bridge. The bridge has been cut, and so that it's laying down against the opposite wall. It's on like a large, like several hundred foot drop, and the DM says to us. So, what do you, how do you guys want to deal with this? Do you want to, uh, you know, do you want to, like, look, like, walk up and down, see if you can find a different bridge? Da, da, da. I'm like, well, I'm playing this, I'm playing a orc wizard that also does, can do martial artist stuff. And he's a transmutationist, right? So, I'm like, look at my spells. I'm like, well, if I jump, 
and then I do a blazing dive, I can just make it ha across the, the, the gorge. So I, I do that. Like, basically, I do that. I make, I make the, the, the barest, like, barest, like, it's the minimum distance. I just make the check. And then I hold on to the bottom of the bridge while my party members haul me back in to bring the bridge across the, across the way. Um, and uh, in the process of doing this, I managed to break our cart. Um, oh, right. So in order to get – so we are like – sorry, I, I forgot this important detail. I'm like 10 feet short of making this jump work. So we cut down a tree, put it out on the thing, and to stabilize it, we put the, 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 the party cart – over the edge of the, the log and the rest of the party, right? So when I make the jump, I, like, push, like, I roll poor enough <laughs> that the log just, like, flips over, upends the cart, breaks apart, lands on its face. We manage to pull the bridge across, which is, which is fine, right? Mm -hmm. Only to immediately find out that our guide is actually, like, a plant from, like, the bad guys. And he didn't cut the bridge, which is good, but we, got, we, had, we immediately got into a combat with... Uh, with our guide, who was supposed to be helping us, who it turns out was just like a plant from the enemy. So you know, uh, that that's my that's my dumb thing <laughs> from a TTRPG this season. All right, yeah, good one. <laughs> All right, uh, so my category, worst patch, and that worst patch is going to be the Modern Warfare Two mid season season one patch where they nerfed the riot shield. I am still mad. <gasps> um, <laughs> They took the right... So, apparently, the riot shield was too good. And I get some of this, right? I was doing really well with the riot shield. But they took the, they took the riot shield. They made it slower. They made it... They made using the throwing knife with it slower. These things I understand. But then they said... What they said was... Is it takes three hits with the riot shield to get a kill. Which is, like, not gonna fucking happen. Right? Like, that is... There is enough counterplay around the riot shield... That I didn't think that this, this needed to happen. Um, like... I was not dominating. Like, I had games where I went off, right? But, like, you know, that's, like, one in every, like, 30. They were not so, – it was not so powerful, not – didn't have – like, the right shield had enough counterplay that I thought this was an entirely unnecessary uh, counterplay. Especially since one of the new new things in Modern Warfare 2 is a drill charge, which is essentially, like, a, a bomb that goes through – like, it'll – you hit it to a wall, and it'll drill through and, like, pop out on the other side. It's good for getting away with campers. That goes through riot shields, right? You throw that at a riot shield, that person's dead, right? And it's like a popular, uh, it's it's a popular uh, 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 lethal armament. And yeah, not everybody has that, but like you know, it should be good enough. Like I don't know, pissed me off. Still, I still haven't played Modern Warfare since since that patch came out. I'm hoping they'll reverse the patch, but that is my worst patch for the year. Is the Modern Warfare Two patch where they nerf the riot shield? Buddy, what's your least favorite okay. patch of the year? My least favorite patch of the year is patch 23.4.3.141643, which is a Hearthstone patch released on June 16th of 2022. It was a minor patch that came out after the mini set of the first set of the year, right? And it is the set that it is the patch that included four changes to Warrior. These four changes, actually, which Shield Shatter, it's a, it's a 10 mana spell, costs one less for each armor you have have does five damage to all all minions 
That went from 5 damage to 4 damage. Tidal Revenant was an 8 mana 5-8 that said Battlecry deal 5 damage, gain 8 armor. This now this then became Battlecry deal 5 damage, gain 5 armor. Nelly's Pirate Ship, which is a um uh uh one of the new one of the new characters you played the thing and it included this pirate ship and the pirate ship let you discover three pirates and they all cost one mana um nelly's pirate ship instead of the those three pirates costing one mana those three pirates cost one less mana which is the no. most bogglingly hard nerf I've ever seen in my entire life. And then from the depths, an ability that reduced the mana of all five of five cards at the bottom of your deck, and then you take one of those cards and put it on the top of your deck. That card went from three mana to four mana. The best Hearthstone deck I have ever played was the Control Warrior deck that got nerfed by all four of these changes. Now, that Control Warrior deck was very good. It was, the, it was, in fact, the best deck in the meta. And people said it ought to be nerfed, but they said it ought to be nerfed for a reason that I think is fucking dumb and bullshit, which is that if the best deck in the game is a reactive control deck, that is bad for the meta, and that is unfun. And I understand that. I, I Listen, I get that. I do. I understand why people would want to say that, but if the best deck in the meta is a fucking aggro deck that blurs, like blows you out on turn four, people are happy with that all the time. And I don't know why one of those is allowed to be the best deck in the meta and the other fucking isn't. And I know the answer is probably because one of them takes three-minute games, the other takes 20-minute games, you know, or or whatever, and that's, like, excruciating. But those people can shut the fuck up. <laughs> the deck was so fun. It was so good. And I had... And I loved it, and they nerfed it into the and they nerfed it into the fucking dumpster. And Warrior has been in the dumpster. It is a miracle that I am still playing Hearthstone, to be honest with you, at this point. Because Warrior has been in the dumpster ever since. There has been no good Warrior deck to play since then. There have been fine Warrior decks, at best, right? Warrior decks that you go... I guess, I guess I'll play this for a little bit, right? That's the best that you can do with the rest of the year because they so thoroughly destroyed this deck. That was, I I will forever be salty about this. It was the best deck I, it was the best deck I ever played. And by the way, it's not even the grossest deck I ever played because I played fucking Odd Warrior, which was much, much worse and a, a much more unfun version of the deck. It was, oh, it was so good, Mango. I could, I could talk about how this deck, this deck was the perfect deck okay and it had so much going for it and it was so fair is the thing that that is the most frustrating piece of it it was just such a fair fucking deck all it did was gain lots and lots of armor and then eventually like blew you out with like cool straightforward win conditions uh but that was too much apparently so anyway there it is that's my but that's my least favorite patch oh my god that's an interesting question that's actually a really great question i'm glad, I'm glad you had a really great answer to it too that's uh I you know, honestly, the minute you said it, I was like, what on earth am I gonna say? And then I was like, oh, I know. And I looked up the yeah, I looked up the badges. <laughs> okay, uh, my next category. My next category. Um Best game for buds is what I'm calling this one, right? Which is to say a the, a game it, it it is in a sense sort of in cre creating a a new category of games as you know game of the year which is to say game of the year as social element right um 
for which my answer is Vermintide 2, uh, which is a game that did not obviously come out this year, but that of like a group of friends and I, we just got so into it. And every time this sort of thing happens, it really, um, I don't know, it just like becomes this, this, this central sort of like meeting point, right? You know, people call these uh, like third, third spots, third locations or something like that, right? Um, it used to be church or it would be like a club or something like that. Or bowling league. Um, yeah, bowling league, you know, uh, any, any of these other kinds of like outside of work, outside of your home. What is, what is like a social place that you congregate with, you know, with people your age sort of thing. This was Vermintide 2 for me this year. Um, I didn't get into it as a sport and I think that that game is fine as a sport. But the thing that I really treasured about Vermintide 2 was the social aspect of it, right? Was reconnecting with some friends that I hadn't seen or hung out with all that much in a, in a way that was that was new and interesting um, and compelling and gave us, like, cool things to, to cool sort of, like, challenges to, like, overcome. But, like, not even all that sweaty or, or hard about it. It's not like we were really competing all that much with really anybody um, or even working towards any more explicit goal than just let's have some fucking fun with our friends um so yeah i really don't have anything more to say about it though i guess i do just want to point out that i am specifically highlighting a difference here between games as sport and sort of like a games as social activity right um this was not something that I did because I wanted to get better at it because I wanted to have some sort of achievement. I wasn't looking to win the pennant. I wasn't looking to get ahead of the curve or, or whatever else, you know what I mean? I was mostly just there because I wanted to have a good time uh, with my buds, which I feel like is the differentiating factor between that and games as, games as sport. Yeah, so that's, 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 that's an interesting thought. Um... I don't have any, like, really exceptional standout version of that, but I do have a thing I think fits in this category, which is the first week of Dragonflight. Um, uh, because because we were all just kind of, like, doing our thing with it, um, I, I think you were there for a couple of them, but I would just, like, as I got home from work, I'd pop into the WoW general chat in the Discord, people would filter in, and most of the time in WoW, this is, as a social activity, like, I like it, but it, most of it's just during raid time, right? Like, it's that two and a half hours, and a fair amount of that is focused yep. on raiding, right? Which is yep. perfectly fine. But for that first week of Dragonflight, just sitting in the general chat, shooting the shit with, like, Lou and Josh, um, you know, and whoever else filed in, that was super fun. And that was super relaxing and totally embraced that kind of, like, you know, social-only aspect of it. So, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's going to be my answer for, for that particular category. Um, I think, I think in other years, I might have said something like Crusader Kings, right? Cause like that was the game that, that did that for me, but not as much this year. Um, which actually I think leads into my next category, most disappointing game of the year, which for me <gasps> is Victoria three, a game <gasps> that I, maybe I haven't given enough of a fair shake and I'll probably give it some more looks in the new year, but I played it for one weekend and I was like, played it for one weekend, encountered a bug that made, like, my the, the thing I was working on in the game, like, basically, like, the, I spent, like, three hours kind of, like, building to essentially the unification of Italy, and this kind of didn't work, right? Like, like the people agreed to incorporate with me, and then they didn't. Like, you know, they I hit the button, and it just didn't happen. I was like, well, fuck. Um, and that combined with just kind of, like, uh, shades of uh, Imperator, right? Like, you know, kind of like numbers mm. for numbers sake and less like, you know, uh, I feel like, like Crusader Kings is good at making me feel like I'm playing a, playing more than a numbers game, right? I'm playing a character. 
Um, you said the same thing about EU4 playing a Spirit of the Nation. Um, uh, Victoria didn't really give me any sense of identity super strong, right? It kind of felt like I was like playing an optimization game. That game could be fun, and I enjoyed some of it, but it didn't give me what I was hoping out of it. And uh, I, ho I hope they, they bring it to a place where I like it. I hope they don't abandon it kind of like they abandoned Imperator, but... You know that's that's gonna be my most disappointing game of the year. And part of that being also that's a, that yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go for it. I was gonna say like part part of the most disappointing part of it too for me is not just that like it wasn't that great for me, but I had high expectations for it, and it failed to hit those expectations for it. So yeah. You know one of the, one of the interesting things is that I played a lot of Anno 1800, which runs through essentially the same period as. Um, as Victoria, though, obviously it isn't as true to, you know, like, Anno 1800 is kind of taking place in a parallel universe that doesn't have the same sort of, like, explicit nationality, but it is that optimization struggle, right? Like, it is just, like, can you optimize your sort of city thing, state, right? Um, uh, which I do think is really interesting and, and, is, and is really kind of compelling uh, to sort of, uh, you know, set up and, um, and put together. And it was the thing that, that kind of hamstrung me when I tried to get into Vicky 3 because I was like, God, you know what? I've, I've done this and it was better and it was Anno 1800, um, which I don't actually think is all that fair. It's just that Anno 1800 had gripped me really, really hard earlier in the year. And I just felt like I was playing a worse version. I, I was playing a worse version of that. Um... This is a really easy one for me to answer. This is Warhammer 40k Darktide. Um, so Darktide is made by the same people who made Vermintide. Um, and I obviously just gave Vermintide huge ups. Uh, I've been looking forward to Darktide for a long time um, because, you know, I, I'm not a huge 40k person. I'm much more of a Warhammer fantasy person, right? All, this has always been true. Um, partially just because, I don't know, I, uh, I don't know how, I don't, I, I won't talk to I don't know. I, I have some, like, weird problems with the way the 40K universe sort of, like, operates and the sort of myopic nature of centering the 40K universe so hard on the Imperium. Um, whereas, you know, Warhammer, uh, is Warhammer Fantasy is much more about the confluence of these different kind of groups, right? Um, you know, and in Vermintide you even see this, right? Because you have a dwarf, you have Barden in the group. Um, you have you have a wood elf in the group. You have um, characters in the group who sort of step outside of the sort of typical Imperial stuff, right? So, for instance, Marcus um, uh, can become a Bretonian knight uh, where he's doing, like, like foot knight stuff. And all of the things that make Vermintide... Um, feel sort of this like expansive encapsulation of the Warhammer fantasy sort of universe brought, you know, kind of like brought into this little microcosm of this team-based like PVE, PVE co-op thing has really sort of been hamstrung and wrung out um, by Darktide. The levels, the art design, the enemy animations, there are, there's a lot of like neat stuff in there. It's really satisfying when you get a headshot against a plagued guy and you watch his head explode and this like fountain of maggots shoots out or whatever because he's like a Nurgle. He's like infected by this like Nurgle whatever. Uh, and they're all like chaos cultists. That's, that's great. That's like, that's sweet. That's really interesting. Um, but the fundamental gameplay and the fundamental sort of like world is really soulless and really lifeless and the reason is is because you are not adopting certain characters which is what the vermintide team is right uh, they're called the ubers Reich five um they are five individual characters they all have different you know names marcus kruber um 
Corellian, the Wood Elf, Barden, you know, the 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 dwarf, right? Like they all have characters, they all have archetypes, they have banter with one another. As you move through the level, they'll they'll talk to one another about the things that that they encounter. If one of them sees a boss, they're going to yell a thing about that boss. They might say a thing if if you know Corellian gets two or three headshots in a row, Marcus Kruber might say, Hey, leave some for the rest of us. Like little little barks, little 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 things like that. Those things exist in Darktide, but in Darktide, the lore is that you are one of a nameless infinite number of prisoners who have been conscripted by an Inquisitor into, into like, you know, attacking this, um, into attacking this hive city. And that's just so much less interesting than having real characters with real written dialogue and real relationships that are developing and kind of being explored. Not to mention the fact that, you know, in, in Warhammer, or I'm sorry, in Vermintide, you're playing through an explicit story, right? The Ubersreich Five have encountered a very specific Skaven Gracier who has allied with a very specific tribe of Norskin raiders, right, who worship, um, who worship Nurgle, and the Skaven are building a gateway to teleport the the Norskin war parties from Norska to the empire right and you need to just you need to destroy that that gate and each mission is a piece of that puzzle right like ascending all the way up kind of thing um the missions in dark tide are randomly generated they are procedurally generated uh and therefore there's no there's no story you're just told to, to do something by one of sort of personality lists NPCs in the beginning of the mission and the thing that the, that they tell you to do changes based on the way the procedural generation works which means that they have to be sort of generic and lifeless you can't actually talk about a specific town suffering a specific thing like you could in Vermintide because um you know you have to write voice lines that will handle any version of of this sort of thing all of that has compounded to make Darktide a much more disappointing experience than Vermintide, and yeah, that makes sense. Answer, I guess that makes sense. All right. Okay. Um, for me, I guess the next category I want to go with, um, is biggest surprise, um, of twenty, uh, of twenty twenty two. Um, which is to say, I actually, I, I, which is to say, nothing. I'll keep that nice and open, and you know. Where, like, however, however else you want to do that. Um, for me, the answer is actually multiverses. Now, I didn't play much multiverses. I played a handful of hours for our, you know, for our review of the game. Then I played for another, you know, uh, a couple of hours after afterward. Um, but I, even though I didn't put all that much time into the game, I really respected the design that I saw on display. I think at this point, I am just not a fighting games person anymore. I was a fighting games person when I was a teenager, when I was doing Soul Calibur, when it was a bunch of us, you know, huddled around a GameCube playing Melee or a Wii playing Brawl. Um, but at this point, it has become so much harder to get me invested, especially in an online setting in, in a fighting game experience, that at the end of the day, I have, I, I've sort of sworn off these fighting games. It, they're just not for me. It's not really... I feel like it's going to be very hard to pull me into a, into another um, into another fighting game uh, any kind any any time soon. But I do want to give props where I think props are due, which is that I liked what 
multiverses was, and I think multiverses deserves whatever level of success uh, it you know it it can it can get it can achieve. Um, so yeah, that was just that's it. That's, I don't have any more than that. It's a well designed game. It's not for me, but I want to give it. I want to give it a little shout out. So but you said you said the category is biggest surprise. Mm -hmm. All right. So biggest surprise is how good Violent Night is. Violent Night is a movie starring David Harbour as Santa Claus, um, who is doing a basically what I think. I what I what I am one hundred percent convinced happened is somebody was like, "What if that you know you know how like there's a meme that like Die Hard is a Christmas movie, right? Like you know that's like a fake argument or whatever, right? Like, yep. What if that, but we made it unambiguous by making you know Bruce Willis into Santa Claus." Right, so it, it absolutely is a Christmas movie, right? With that, it's got like shades of other things in it too. Um, but it is, it is tongue in cheek. It knows that it's fucking Santa Claus doing like you know, uh, doing does Die Hard, right? But it has so much fun with it. It explains like explains just enough to like for it to like not totally not make sense but also holds enough back that you don't have to worry about like you know convoluted explanations as to like what Santa Claus is doing with his life right um it's got like some very good action some very cool like um very cool meaty kills uh that you don't expect, like inventive use of Santa's magic in a lot of different ways um and uh, I expected something that was going to be schlocky, but I did not expect it to kind of, like, embrace itself so well and, like, really pull off what was some of the most fun I've had this year with, with a movie. Like, it was the only reason, or rather, like, I put, like, I had about as much fun with it as I had with Bullet Train, but I was expecting it from Bullet Train. I wasn't expecting it yeah. from Violent Night. And so... Uh, that was the biggest surprise for me of the year was how much how good Violent Night was, um, all things considered. So yeah, that that's gonna be my biggest biggest surprise of the year. Um, I'm gonna do a simple one for my next category, which is most anticipated for next year. Again, I'll I'll leave the the wide category open. Um, mine is Street Fighter Six. Coming off of you saying that you're not into fighting games anymore, which is totally fine. But um, I have not gotten to play in the beta yet. It hasn't really mattered to me because uh, Zangief hasn't been in the beta yet. And I want to play my, my Grapply Boy. Um, but um, it's getting me back into the hype cycle. It looks really good. It's got, like, everybody's got, like, a ton of options. Um, it's a little bit slower paced, which is what I like. Um, like, I've been playing Guilty Gear Strive, and I've been enjoying that game. But it's a very fast-paced game, and I am not as good with that kind of game. Um, uh, so, you know, classic Street Fighter action. Uh, people basically viewed 5 as kind of a stumbling block. But... It seems like they've taken their time to do everything correct. It's everything correct in a lot of different ways, right? The net code seems like it's rock solid, which was a problem with five. Like they, they made a step in the right direction. Um, I won't go bore you with the details about rollback. Uh, I think we've talked about it before, but essentially they kind of flubbed rollback in five, but now it seems like it's on super solid footing. They've also got modes, like they've got like a a mode that's like an open world adventure where you like build your own fighter. And you like do stuff with that, and that, that's not going to affect the competitive scene, right? But it's a fully fleshed out single player mode, which, you know, we haven't really gotten anything of like, of of, of any particular stature, in um, 
in Street Fighter in a while. So that's good. It advances the story. It takes place after, I think it takes place after 3, which is like the first game to advance the timeline since like the 90s, right? Street Fighter 3 is technically the last chronological entry in the series and everything that's been happening in between this is finally advancing the plot. Um, and uh, it looks like they gave everybody everything and it looks like it's going to be a whole, lot of, uh, a whole lot of fucking fun. And I cannot wait for it to come out in June. Buddy... What is your most anticipated game or most anticipated thing of 2023? I'll leave the category. This is the hardest thing that's ever happened. All right. Here's here's in one of these. Jason Momoa plays the sort of reluctant king of, of a nation of underwater, you know, <laughs> in a nation of like feudal underwater, you know, like mystical society grappling with the responsibility of his of his newfound leadership and his relationship with his estranged brother. In the other one, Jason Momoa plays a guy whose only information that I know about him is that his name is going to be Dante, which is rad as hell. They are fast F F. X F10. It's got to be F. It is FX, but it, it's got to be Fast Ten at that point, right? Um, and it is, uh, and it is Aquaman two. And I don't know which is more important to me. This is actually fucking like it's so hard. Aquaman is my favorite superhero, and I loved Aquaman one. I actually rewatched Aquaman one the other day, and I was like. Yeah, this, this movie is so good. The fight with, you know, with Black Manta is just, like, so captivating. And the way that, like, some really just simple stuff gets done that, you know, like, she plays her own leitmotif on the little flute. What could be a more obvious, like, piece of just straightforward quality filmmaking that I want to see in, you know, in theaters. But Aquaman, and we're finally getting the sequel, and it comes out in December of 2022, Okay. Um, 2023? Sorry, 2023. But DC Films is a fucking mess, and Aquaman might not continue as a franchise. Jason Momoa is apparently no longer returning as Aquaman. He might be um, he might be out, um, and he might be um, uh, and he and he might be coming back as Lobo apparently, which is an idea I fucking hate because Lobo is fucking awful as a, as as a character. So I want to say Aquaman, but I have this huge reservation, which is that you know the leadership of DC Films, as much as I like James Gunn, obviously who is you know kind of one of the one of the two people. Uh, Peter Safran is fine. Um, you know it like the idea that Jason Momoa, who is an actor I like a lot, uh, was selected by by Zack Snyder, pulled out of sort of this. You you know, kind of, I don't want to say realm of obscurity, because obviously he was a pretty famous actor, you know, he was in that first season of Game of Thrones and everything, right? Like, but, like, he was really given his movie star shot um, to, to be Aquaman, and now is, in fact, a bona fide movie star. Um, I want to say Aquaman too, But I also want to say Fast 10. Fast, fast, the Fast and the Furious franchise is like the revolution that has happened in my life since 2018 when I watched, or not, not even 2018, maybe 2019, when I watched all of them in, in sort of like preparation for F8. The depths to which I fell in love with this film franchise are hard to, hard to explain. Fast 9, I was my game, that was my movie of the year last year, I'm pretty sure, um, which I think would have beaten out. Zack Snyder's Justice League, right? Which would have been an insane pick, right? Because uh, those are both 2021 movies. I don't actually remember which one I which one I chose of those two, but obviously I love both of those movies. Um, and uh, and so I and so I want to say Fast Ten, but 
Justin Lin, who was brought on to direct Fast 10, the guy who originated all of these different, you know, like aspects of the characters. He's the guy who created Han. He started with Tokyo Drift, moved through the next couple of Fast and Furious movies, including the very best one, which is Fast 5, um, and then would eventually come back to, this, to, the, to the franchise in F9 for a really amazing movie that was so so true to sort of the the core of the of these um of these roots uh he got fired 10 days into directing fast 10 he got fired and they replaced him with louis letterer who by the way is not all that bad he's the guy that directed like the incredible hulk the you know the transporter movies um some some other sort of stuff but it's just like how do you take like essentially the auteur who sort of originated this whole film franchise basically um, and take him and take him out of the movie and take him away from away from the movie? I don't have a good answer to that question. I don't know. I do don't you know, know where they fired him. No, nobody does. Nobody does. It is mind boggling. No one knows why. It's insane. Fast and Furious is essentially f like holding up the entirety of that of that studio and nobody and nobody knows what happens uh outside of just like, you know, the t traditional go oh, creative differences whatever like bullshit or whatever. Um I'm going to have to say realistically it's Aquaman. At the end of the day, Aquaman The Lost Kingdom is a movie that was written and produced under a certain set of circumstances. So even though I am very nervous about a, a version of DC Studios that is going to leave Henry Cavill behind, the perfect Superman behind, um, uh, I, I am... I guess I just trust that James Wan and Jason Momoa are going to be good enough and cool enough that Aquaman 2 is going to be sort of a, you know, a good fucking time. And that's the thing that I am the most hyped for in in 2023, which is kind of crazy, but I feel like I don't have as many games on the... Normally this this slot would go to a game, right? But I just don't have that, that, that many games on the, on, the, on the horizon. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, I'm... Super wary of Diablo 4 now. I don't know if I'm actually going to be on board with Why that. are you wary of Diablo 4? I don't Just the Battle Pass stuff? I don't know. Like, oh, I'll, sure. Okay. I'll, I'll play it. I'll probably I'll almost certainly play it, but, you know, I, I have, I'm not as hype about it. Um, but, uh, no, well, you said you said Jason Momoa's character is in the Fast and Furious chance. It's the name, the name yeah, Dante. He, yeah, his name is Dante, which is just like, what a cool guy name. What a name for cool so dudes. This, Dante. This makes me want more than anything else, a Devil May Cry movie where Jason Momoa <laughs> plays Dante, where Henry Cavill plays Virgil, and where, like, <gasps> Timothy Chalamet plays Nero, who is Virgil's son. No. Oh, my God. This this, wow. this is my fan casting for the Devil May Cry movie. I don't I, I haven't thought about who would play the female characters or, or any of the other characters, but I think Jason Momoa as Dante and Henry Cavill as Virgil would be phenomenal. I want to see that. Make it happen, someone out there. <laughs> Yeah, for real, man. That's okay. Uh, that's a good. how much time do we have left? I even even. We, we've got time. like Ooh, a okay. yeah, we've ten minutes, ten minutes left. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 I believe yeah. it's uh, it's your go. Okay, uh, this one I was going to say. What was the stupidest movie you watched but loved? Or maybe not movie. The stupidest thing, like the thing, you know, I, I, I constantly talk about this sort of like little matrix of like things that I recognize are bad, but I like them anyway. Do you know what I mean? Um, and uh, uh, versus something that like, you know, it doesn't quite grip me, but like I know that I know that it's good. 
uh, or whatever. Uh, like you, you, you know what I, you know what I mean yeah, when, yeah. I, when I when I'm sort of talking um, in those sorts of things. I have to give this one to Black Adam. Uh, the more I have thought about Black Adam, the more I think it is actually a bad movie. Um, I gave it pretty good sort of marks and and like a, like a like a. Uh, I, I, I liked it quite a lot. I recommended it. I said that, you know, like the action was fun. There was a lot of like fun stuff that, that happened, not the least of which was the during a, you know, during a, 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 a needle drop of the, the Rolling Stones, Black Adam picks up a guy by the neck and fries him with lightning. And then the lightning surges through all of these other people. And you watch in slow motion as Black Adam electrocutes all of these like nameless guys to like to death or whatever. That stuff is great. That stuff is awesome. Unfortunately, the entirety of the movie actually kind of secretly sucks in like true terms there's just a lot going on and it doesn't really coalesce in the way that we would otherwise kind of hope it would um for ultimately uh you know a film experience that uh was not up to up to sort of par but i loved it so much that i felt like i had to i had to sort of recognize it as a fun good thing that i watched this year and that I, that I experienced. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, if we can't appreciate the stupid stuff that puts a smile on your face, what, what, what else? What, you know, what, what can we do? Right? Am I right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like my answer to this has to be, I feel like it has to be, um, has to be bullet train. Um, really? Just be just because, and this is this is because I haven't seen, I haven't felt good about something that I thought was that I thought was objectively bad this year. I don't think yet. Like I haven't like I haven't had a guilty pleasure this year that that, that is okay. identifiable. And bullet sure. bullet train, bullet train is a ton of fun. I watch, it's e it's either that or violent night because they both think they both fit into this category, of like are they the best movies? No. I think Bullet Train has some problems if you, like, think about it too hard. But why would I fucking do that? Right? Like, um, like the things that bother me about Avatar 2, I think, are things that maybe could bother me about Bullet Train if I really thought about it. But I don't care. So watch Bad Pitt throw a water bottle at a British man and, like, knock him out. Right? Like, it was fun. And, like, the whole fucking theme about fate, I don't know if that actually makes any fucking sense. Right, I listen to an old man tell a story about like how fate makes things happen and like how he needs to avenge his like make things like you know like fate has brought us together and then like he dies with the gun or whatever like it was it was like it's like fate message I don't even know what the fuck he was trying to say right like I don't care I watched a cool movie and that that guy is gonna be in John Wick Four that old man and <laughs> yes I love him there, there's a part of me. That wants that to be the same character and for John Wick 4 and Bullet Train to be the same universe. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun with it and I would watch a Bullet Train too. Um, but it's, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's good enough for me to, I don't think it's good enough for me to like think it's like the, like a great movie. But to your po to your point about how like you thought it was gonna be like a fire and forget movie, it's a fun movie to watch. I'd watch it again. I watched it twice already. I watched it a third time. 
And Hell so, yeah. you know, that's that's my answer to, 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 to that category. Yeah. All right. I got a dumb short one. Okay. This is going to come across as very specific and petty because it is. This is <laughs> most aggravating node overload. And this is when you overload a Titan-touched mining node, and while you're mining it, it disappears so you don't get the, the, the fucking materials. And when you go through the portal, <laughs> it pops you out right where you are. It doesn't even go you, send you anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's got to be... That's happened to me twice, you know? by the way. <laughs> That has happened to me. That happened to me two days ago, actually. Um, and I remember really... Because I basically always save my overload for Titan Touch Nose at this point. Um, I think the most aggravating node to overload is actually the Wind Herbs node. Have you ever done that before? No, I haven't done any herbs, so I, I wouldn't know. Um, yeah, so the Wind Herbs... Have you ever done the, the mini game where it shoots you into the air and you fly down into the rings? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the herbs node is like that. But instead of rings, there are little flowers, right? And it is so fucking hard to, like, angle your character so that you can see if you're going to hit the flower or whatever. And because they're so small, I miss them fucking constantly. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, this is so aggravating. I end up getting to the bottom and I get, like, two fucking flowers. And I'm just like, really? That That's the best you can give me? I, <laughs> uh, the, uh, another version of this might be, uh, might be most aggravating node to activate, which has got to be the molten node when you don't have the thing that reduces the damage because I have absolutely been killed by that debuff before. Uh, like you go into a node and I've done this on classes like mage, for instance, who doesn't have any self healing. Um, I go into a node, I'd get like, I do like a molten node and then I find another molten node. I'm like, like half health. I'm like, I could do this. I mine the node and I'm just watching the dot take me down. I'm flying on my dragon and then I just poof, <laughs> die. <laughs> And you plump into your dad. I think a lot of people would actually say the wind node because the wind node is trolly as fuck. When you do the wind node, okay, what it does is it hits you with two gusts of wind. One that'll just push you in a random direction and then another one two seconds later that'll push you in another random direction. But so if you're on a cliff and you do a wind node, like half of the time it just shoots you off the cliff and you die. <laughs> And that is aggravating. And I have done that a million times, okay? But it's actually less aggravating than the molten one because the molten one makes me feel like a fucking moron <laughs> for having chosen to mine it at 50% health and assuming that my fucking frost shield, my, fro my, my, my ice barrier was going to get me through it or whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> molten nodes got a lot less aggravating for me when I realized you could purge it with diffused magic. So. <gasps> Yeah. Oh, that's the monk tech. Yeah, yeah there yeah, you go. Yeah. Well done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, another quick one that I that I want to do is just uh, most satisfying button to press in World of Warcraft, and I have to say, is spell reflect. Spell reflecting shit is my is it makes me, it's orgasmic. I want to like fucking nut in my pants if I if I can nullify like a stupid thing by spell reflecting at the right time. It just you feel like a fucking god, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, that that makes total sense for me. Um, still got to be feline stomp, right? Like it's not particularly, oh. it's it's not particularly, um, uh, you know, it's, it's not like it's, it's like a big flashy ability, or it, it is literally a flashy ability, but it's not like it does like a ton of damage or anything. 
but yep. just you hit the button, it goes, it makes these very satisfying like crash sound, and then it goes, boing, and it goes out, and it just feels good to do, right? Like I love mashing on that fucking stomp button. It just, I will, I have it on every single one of my specs, even though it's probably not the most useful thing, just because I love the way it feels, just like out and you know you feel like you feel like you've done something epic, but it, it just feels. It feels good in the same way it feels like like firing a gun in like Destiny or, or Modern Warfare feels good, right? Like it feels impactful and it feels like it's got a lot of oomph behind it. Um, yeah, so that's that is that is my my favorite WoW button, definitely. That's a good answer. Yeah. All right, well we we've hit time. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about before? Or did you want to do more categories? No, I I sort of ran out of categories, so I am okay to to sort of call it here. Okay. Yeah. Um. Uh, only thing I wanted to say was, uh, I also like bullet train. I also like vampire survivors. I had, I had it in my best value category, which was kind of like a really like dragging the bottom of the barrel thing. Cause it was like three bucks, right? Like, you know, I got, I best, probably best dollar to, to, to gameplay ratio I've had in a long time. So, you know, um, God, that's true. What is the best dollar to gameplay ratio? I feel like I've had, um, I mean, I think, Oh, actually I have a good example for that, but it's kind of fucked up. So I'm not going to say it. What? It's not that fucked up. I would say it, it's Rain World, but whatever. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. like yeah, games, yeah. games I have worked on. Yeah, I feel like conflicts both, of interest. But like yeah, I yeah. obviously have worked on it, so yeah, I would say I would say Rain World is uh, is good, you know, value for the, for yeah, the, for the dollar. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, um, I mean, I think also for the two of us, WoW has got to be up there, right? Like, oh yeah, WoW is like the most efficient. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I was also thinking about my favorite battle pass, just to compliment oh, the Overwatch two battle pass again. Um, but I decided not to do it because I don't know how much I like. I, I feel like I mentioned it a lot. All yeah, I want to say is that, yeah, or well, no, no, no. I mean, oh, it, it, was it was Overwatch. Overwatch yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah, because the all of the nodes are the same amount of experience, and that just felt so fucking good. I the Hearthstone Battle Pass is actually pretty good in terms of value. I like the value of the Hearthstone Battle Pass, but actually completing it fucking sucks, and I hate it. So <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel that I actually had best Battle Pass on my list too. It was Rumbleverse. Just because sure. it was fun, directed you a little bit, but not so much that you felt like you had to do stuff. And uh, it's all cosmetic. Like, the thing, like, I I thought it was, like, so Modern Warfare 2 did a battle pass that was, like, less, like, linear. And you could, like, you basically made your way around a little bit of a map. Um, and that was neat, but, like, there was, like, there were, like, actual lockable guns on there that I was, like, not, like, I, I was, like, ah, this feels, this feels dirty. Um and uh, like, not that they were any they were like options instead of power, but it's like, yeah, this this doesn't feel great. I mean, it also felt like it took too long to do things, and it was super buggy too. So, um, but yeah, all right. Well, I'm gonna say, um, uh, if you'd like to email us about any of your thoughts about these game about what we talked about today, um, or anything else, you can email us at nerdsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at nerdsplaygames.com. You can watch us at twitch.tv slash nerdsplaygames or youtube.com slash at some nerdsplaygames where these go out live. Um, on both now simulcast, um, uh, these the recorded versions go out on SoundCloud and everywhere that um, uh, podcasts are found. We're in everybody's feed. Um, we've got a Patreon. All the links are in the description. We've got a Twitter. Um, buddy, you have anything you're looking to promote before we get out of here? Uh, I guess I am looking to promote. Uh, so first of all, we're getting closer and closer to Rain World, but we're doing a fun stream this week. Um, the that stream is the co-op 
is a co-op Rain World stream this this Friday at 10 a.m. Um, it's going to be me and a couple of other people from Akupara trying to play through uh, Rain World, which I think is going to be a ton of fun. And then I have an insane thing I want to promote, but I don't know that I'm allowed to announce it yet. Um, so I guess I'm just going to hold it here for... Um, Actually, let me just check my email real quick, because if I have heard about it, if I have gotten an answer to this question, then I do, in fact, um, want to... Um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm checking my email and checking my email. Oh, my God, please, 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 please show me the thing. Uh, so this, this, I'm going to vamp for a little bit. This might turn into a, I guess, an announcement that you're going to announce next week, right? Um, uh, yeah, it, it would definitely be something I announce next week if I, if I do end up announcing it. Um, yeah, so just again to kind of like vamp for a little bit of time. Other things I've, I've done this year that were interesting is started playing around with Stable Diffusion, which is super fun if you want to like make characters. Um, they have all sorts of new mod, like people are making custom models, which I think is like super incredible. Um, played around with Chat GPT, which is neat. I don't think it's as, as crazy as people are making it out to be. Like, like I had this idea where this is like my crazy harebrained scheme. I was going to try and like auto-generate a romance novel and just put it on Amazon and see if it sold for anything. But uh, you can't do that like super easily, right? Like there, there's not enough output from chat GPT and it won't do sex scenes. So um, that's not as easy as I thought it was, was going to be. But I do think that that's like an interesting thing moving forward. I am interested in um, chat GPT. Like apparently some of my, my friends in D&D have been... Uh, have tried using ChatGPT to like generate like small adventures, which they've had some success Whoa. with. Yeah, so I think I, I, as as is true with everything, right? Like, uh, you know, the, it's going to be used. It gets either used for porn or for uh, or for D and D nerds, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so uh, Stable Diffusion definitely has to porn down, and uh, and uh, ChatGPT has the D and D nerds covered. So okay, so it looks like I'm not able to announce it, but I'm sure uh, that oh, at, at the next uh, at the next thing uh, I'll be I'll be able to talk about it um, a little bit more. But yeah, so Rainworld Rainworld Downpour, which is the next big release from from Akupara, comes out in um, uh, Thursday of next week, uh, and so there's a bunch of there's a bunch of cool shit happening with with regards to that um that weirdly i think people in the chat would would kind of go apeshit for um and when, when i when i tell you this thing you're gonna be like oh but anyway that's it um i'm i'm done so so the chat i missed is lou says evoker deep breath that's the real winner for the button um such class fantasy i just want to say evokers make me mad because they uh Bango and Buddy are so close to thinking of each other's pieces. What are you fucking talking about, Charles? Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, fucking, uh, I'm mad at Evokers because uh, they have more mobility than monks, it feels like, and they're impossible to feel in arenas. <laughs> so, you know, that's that. Um, have you been doing solo shuffle? Is yeah, that, I have been doing been solo, solo shuffle. It's been a thing I've been getting into recently. But yeah. Everybody fucking loves it, apparently, is, is, what, I, is what I hear, uh, is that solo shuffle is like an insane amount of fun. It is. It is. Um, it's super fun. So... Um, but yeah, uh, oh, uh, this comment brought to you by OpenAI. So that that is what Charles was talking about. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, well, we've we've delayed this enough. I'm gonna say until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.